0: All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 27, now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Uh, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no man about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Leave it up to Peter, right? But when he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And when he had called the people to himself and with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man or a woman, anyone, give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, are so thankful for this incredible gift of eternal life. And Lord, uh, you often challenge us as we find you challenging the disciples, Lord, in this particular story. And I pray that, Father, that we would not allow our fears, our pride, and anything else to keep us, Lord, from serving you and committing the fullness of our life to you. Lord, it seems to be you're always challenging us, Lord, to have more of our heart. And Father, I pray this morning, as we gather around your word, that once again, Lord, you'd open our understanding. Lord, we uh, we thank you, Lord. Uh, we may have read this section of Scripture many times. But Lord, uh, we pray, Father, for, Lord, uh, understanding. Lord, that your word would be uh, relevant and practical. Well, we know that, Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit is always... Lord, calling us, no matter when we open the Bible, you're always speaking, Lord, into those particular areas of our life. Lord, you know, Lord, how we tend to push back, and we're thankful, Lord, that you're 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 patient with us. You're you're gracious. You're kind, and yet, Lord, you're always calling us to higher ground. And so, I pray for those that are here, Lord, uh, that we would have open and receptive hearts. Lord, we thank you that um, as we receive, Lord, uh, your truth into our lives, Lord, the, um, the impact that uh, it can, Lord, bring into our lives is, is incredible, tremendous, it can change the, uh, the entire direction, the present direction of our lives, and Lord, perhaps uh, there may be some that are here today that need that. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Uh, we commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, we call our message this morning uh, cross-training. We all kind of know what that means uh, when it comes to the gym, you know, different kind of sports, whether, uh, you know, you uh, are a jogger or you're the kind of person that you're in the gym working out all the time, and I've tried that. It just doesn't work for me, and, uh, uh, but I like mountain biking. And uh, I love to get on my bike and, you know, knock off about 10 miles or more. Um, You know, I have hand weights and all that sort of thing. And and cross-training means, you know, basically all these different areas that, you know, of your life and your body that you're training. But there's a cross-training also, too, that the Lord brings us into. Uh, If we're going to be His followers, there's always some degree, some level of training that He is bringing, you know, into our life and into our particular situation. Now, as we look at the disciples at this point, this is a, this is a turning point uh, in the lives of the disciples. Uh, Jesus here now is beginning to speak about the cross. Up until this point, there's not been a whole lot about the cross. Uh, to them, in their thinking, the cross was really an instrument. It was, it was Basically, the cross was the performance of capital punishment. So it was kind of an instrument of death. So when Jesus begins to speak about this, uh, that's how they relate that. But also, to another thing we find here, Jesus is speaking, uh, you know, basically how that the cross is to be applied in our lives in a personal kind of a way. I don't know how many times that you've uh, read through this section or the Gospels that speak about the cross and and the purpose of it, the design of it, uh, that there is a practical, you know, outworking of the cross in each one of our lives. That's why Jesus says here, we're to take up the cross, but I think a lot of times, when it comes to that, when we're not really sure exactly, you know, what is it that Jesus means when He says "take up your cross"? Because I think a lot of times we think it's this, that, or the other thing. We think it's maybe somebody in our life that sort of bugs us or gets under our skin. Uh, oh, that person, man! They're you know they're really the cross. They're my cross, kind of a thing. You know, we may have somebody, a loved one, in our life. You know, we're praying for them. We're concerned for them. Their life may be a mess, um, and uh, and, we're, and we're we're just so. You know, concerned and praying for them all the time. That uh, you know, we think that there are cross, but the fact of the matter, it is none of those particular things. Uh, Isaiah prophesies about Christ that he would set his face as a flint. In other words, he had such a passion um, that that was driving him, and particularly, it comes out at this point. I would imagine there was such an incredible turning point uh, in Jesus. Uh, at this particular time that the disciples, by the way, what, you know, what's going on with him? You know, the, 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 the tenor of his message is changing. Uh, it seems to be that he's maybe getting a little bit morbid, uh, you know, because, you know, the first half of, at least more than first half of the ministry of Christ and the disciples are very powerful. And uh, uh, there was a tendency, no doubt, for them to want to keep it in that kind of mode. But again, Jesus is focused on Jerusalem. He's focused on the cross. And now he's wanting to prepare them and get them ready. And so this is part of their their particular training. And uh, as we come to verse uh, 27, uh, he's on the road with the disciples. Uh, This is his team. And they're heading now uh, into or maybe even into the final year of ministry. So this preparation is absolutely critical, it's important, and he poses this great, I think this very important question to them regarding his person. You know, who, he, who is he? Uh, I think that's something that everybody, you know, has to answer eventually. Who is Jesus to you? Is he more than just some historical figure? Um, you know, is he, um, you know, the one that we worship, the one that we adore, the one we can say that we know him? Uh, I, you know, when we say that the people who don't know him, they look at us like we're kind of crazy. What do you mean? Do you know the Lord? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've come into a relationship. I've given my heart to Jesus. I opened my life to him. Now he's in my life, and, and and we can say that legitimately and honestly. But for the unbeliever, for the person just simply outside of that yet, they may look at us, you know, in a very odd kind of a way. In a sense of, well, who do you think you are that you know Jesus? You know, that you know God or you have this special relationship with God, but the fact of the matter, because of the cross, he's done that for us. He's brought us into that glorious relationship. So the question here, basically, you know, who really is Jesus? Who is he? And he's asking them that question in verse 27, who do men say that I am? And everybody seems to have an opinion about Jesus. You talk to people just like they did in that day. You know, it's John the Baptist, uh, you know, uh, arisen from the grave. It's Elijah, you know, the great prophet Elijah, with all of his miracles in the Old Testament, or some other particular prophet. And everybody has their particular, you know, opinion about who Jesus is. He's this great teacher. He's a great healer. Uh, He's this moral figure. I mean, even the Muslims recognize him, you know, as one of the great prophets. Um, But really, you know, who do we really, you know, do we really know him? And of course, he says here, uh, at the at, in verse 29, who do you say? Yeah, that's what the crowds are saying. That, that's that's what everybody's saying here, but who is it that you say, you know, that I am? And, and I like Peter because, you know, he's always the first guy to speak, you know, tends to get his foot in his mouth a lot, And uh, but, you know, he's just saying what everybody else thinks. That, that, that's Peter, um, and he just blurts it out, you know, you're the Christ, you're, you're the Son, you know, of the living God, you're our Redeemer. Uh, you know, when it comes to recognizing who Jesus is in that kind of a way, that's a spiritual revelation. Do you know, nobody can really know Christ outside of Him revealing Himself to us? The Bible teaches that. That's why, you know, we witness to people and we're supposed to do that. And I remember, you know, uh, Margie and I got saved and uh, we were really concerned for our family. You know, both of us grew up in Catholic families and, and she had a very large family. You know, she was one of 10. Uh, but I was concerned for my family. My family was a smaller family, very, very, very dysfunctional. And we were concerned. We wanted to go home. Uh, we wanted to just witness because, you know, when 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 the Lord comes into your life, it's like all the lights come on, okay? Uh, everything just, you know, changes from the inside. It's not that I signed my, oh, I joined that church. I signed my name kind of a thing. You, you may do that, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's it's all of a sudden there's an illumination. There's a transformation that takes place within the heart, within life. And I remember, you know, because it happened to me, and I thought as soon as I would tell my relatives and some of my friends about Jesus that the light would come on. And I told them, it's like, no light came on. And uh, because God has to do that. Now, we're to do that. We're to witness. We're to to plant seeds. We're to to share, you know, our story, you know, with people about, about what God has done. You know, sometimes you don't know what to you know, share with people. Share your story, man. The fact of the matter is He saved you. you know, he transformed your life. He changed you. And sometimes you think, well, that's not exciting. Uh, i tell you what, it may not be all that exciting, but you know what? It's true. And, and there's a power and an honesty there that God can use as we just, just simply say uh, you know, what God has done for us, what Christ has done you know, within our life and within our particular situation. So it has to be. And it is a wonderful thing. I think there have perhaps been times where we've shared Christ and you see the light come on. Maybe as, maybe as a pastor, I get to see that more than you. Um, and I've seen that light come on for people, and it's a wonderful thing. But you know what? It's a divine revelation. That's why you want to understand the Bible? Pray. Before you open that Bible, say, say Lord, I need you to speak to me. Because you, you want Revelation. Uh, you you want to be able to see the plan of God, you know, the will of God for your life. You want to know Jesus in a deeper way. So before, you know, before you read your Bible, just pray and say, Lord, speak to me. I do it all the time. And I've been reading the Bible for 45 years now. And, and I just I you know, and I realized the value in it. You know, when you preface your time, you know, of reading the scripture, um, you know, it can just come to life for you. Have you ever read the Bible and you just you read a chapter? It's like, what did I read? I mean, sometimes because you got too much caffeine, you know, and uh, uh, you, you you read the Bible, it's like, oh man, what did I read? But man, when I read the Bible, I, I want to get something out of it because it's God's living Word, and He will speak into our life and into our situation. Now, up to this point, <clears throat> excuse me, there was all success and miracles, and I imagine it had to be an incredible thing. Um, to be on a tour with Jesus as he would go into different parts of the country and people get raised from the dead. He'd walk on the water. He'd feed thousands of people. He'd pray for people. They'd be healed. He'd touch lepers, and all of a sudden, man, they would be healed. It had to be an incredible thing to be on that kind of a tour. And so you can imagine the disciples when all of a sudden there's a change, There's a little change, you know, in the ministry and the things that are taking place here. Because what Jesus begins to speak now is about the theology of suffering, that he's going to be rejected. He's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to go to a cross. He's going to be murdered, you know, by these people that he loves. And he came to redeem the very people that would put him on the cross. And so he has to really not only convince them of that, because that's what they're, they're going to struggle with that. We're going to see, we see it here, you know, in the text. But also, too, there's going to be a personal application relative to what does a cross mean in my own experience? When we say, hey, you know, or Jesus says, hey, take up your cross and follow me. What does exactly that mean, you know, within our life and within our situation? Now, at this point, the crowds begin to diminish. John chapter 6 tells us that, and not just the crowds, but even some of his disciples, because in John 6, verse 66, uh, it says that uh, many of his disciples uh, turned back and walked with him no longer, because you know what? He began to say things um, that were deeply spiritual, but they didn't understand them, and uh, their, their their, their relationship with Jesus obviously was very shallow, and he will always speak. You know, deeper things into our life, deeper truth. But you know what? If there's ever going to be any truth activated in our life, you've got to obey it. That's why, hey, we're studying the Bible. We're looking at these things. Sometimes we can just walk out the door and forget. But the fact of the matter is that these principles that we read here, that God wants them to be at work within our life. There needs to be personal application. And if you have the Holy Spirit, when an opportunity comes for personal application, you know what? He'll, he oftentimes brings that truth to our minds. Into our hearts, to apply, you know, what it is that maybe we've just been studying, we've just been reading, because in our studying reading, He's talking to us. It's God, through His Word and through the Holy Spirit, to the open heart who's believing and trusting that God is speaking to me when I read it, and He certainly uh, will do that. So again, you know, when you think about this theology of suffering now that is coming to the disciples, nobody likes suffering, okay? I mean, it's only a sick kind of a person that wants to suffer, uh, I think that means that something's wrong with us, but you know, when you think about life, life oftentimes, you know, there could, you know, it, it's it's something you can't avoid. Uh, I was thinking about it when you come into this world and you leave a, a warm womb, and all of a sudden you hit a cold world, uh, and the first thing you do is you get a smack on the butt, and you're crying, and uh, that's how we come into the world. We often come into the world crying, and we leave the world weeping. Uh, there's a certain amount of suffering. That we will never be able to avoid. And yet, God has said, I will be with you in it. I will help you. I will be your buffer. I will be your shock absorber uh, when it comes to those kinds of things. Not that, you know, I, th- well, yeah, I think uh, oftentimes we feel, well, oh, I'm a Christian. Should I get a pass on that? No, there's a lot of things that God will use in our life because we do know Him and He wants us to be able to relate. He wants us to be able to relate to other people that are going through all kinds of suffering and challenges and difficulties in their life, and we can relate to them and tell them, hey, you know what? Look what God did for me. I mean, when you think about relatability, that's an important factor, isn't it? That's why God came and the person of Christ went to a cross, you know, lived the perfect life, suffered a horrible death so that he could relate to us. You know, No one ever, can ever really say, you know, God can't relate to me. That's why Christ came. He came so that he can relate perfectly, practically, in a personal kind of a way. There isn't one, that's why it says in, in Hebrews, in all points, in every possible way, he was tempted and, 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 and basically navigated through all the things that you and I have to navigate through. There isn't one temptation that was not thrown at him that you and I have to face today. That's why Jesus, that's why the Bible tells us that he can relate to us. That's why we talk to him. That's why we pray. He understands us. No, no matter what your struggle is, uh, no matter what your failure is, no matter what it is uh, in your life, you can talk to Jesus about it. And we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to be able to cast our burden, the Bible says, "You know, upon the Lord. There's, there's, there's heavy things in life. And, and the promise is, you know, he says to us, I'll do the heavy lifting. But you know what? you got to give it to me. And so, as we as we in prayer, you know, give it over to the Lord, He intervenes and He wonderfully, um, He wonderfully works. Uh, now, as we come to verse thirty-two, uh, we see Peter's reaction. You know to what you know to Jesus and what Jesus says that He's going to suffer, He's going to die, uh, and, and because you know what what Peter's looking at, all of a sudden, man, you know, Jesus' star just fell. What are you talking about, man? You raise people from the dead. You know how can it, You know, how could anybody hurt you or kill you? And, of course, you know, he was going to allow that to happen. That was fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling the purpose of redemption. It had to happen. But, again, Peter, well-intentioned, he did not fully understand, you know, this whole theology of suffering and this whole challenge in the cross and, 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 you know, what the Lord was trying to do here. You see, the thing about human love is, you know what? It's weak, it's vulnerable, and it's undiscerning. You know, sometimes in our human love, you want to help somebody. And uh, I think we need to be discerning about that. I think we need to be very careful, you know, a, about that. Um, you know, the Lord allows us to go through all kinds of challenges, you know, that, that toughen us up. Uh, I think as parents today, you know, like Peter, uh, we want to, you know, we, Peter's wanting to protect Jesus. That's what it is. Jesus, Peter wants to protect Jesus you know, from, from harm, from suffering, and that sort of thing. And that, that's very uh, noble of Peter. But Peter, again, he still doesn't understand that this has to take place. Uh, this is part of, you know, the overall plan of God. And I think sometimes as parents, and particularly, you know, in, in our culture, in, in our the societal mindset of parenting, you know, we want to protect our kids from everything. And, you know, the fact of the matter is we can't. We can't. Um, I, I think what, what's happened sometimes is uh, we can create such a softness, uh, you know, for our children, trying to protect them from everything. It almost creates an effeminacy that takes place. Um, you know, there are certain things that you know that as a man and as a woman, you know what you got to go through. You just got to go through in life. And the fact of the matter is, as parents, we can't protect, we can't protect our kids from all that kind of stuff. Uh, We just have to let them go through things and pray that they would learn how to, you know, just trust God. Not that we don't love them, not that we don't care about them, not that we can't be there for a shoulder to cry on them. But we have to be very careful that we don't try to insulate them and even isolate them from all the challenges, you know, that are out there in our world and in our society. Uh, That's what the safe place is about in college. Okay. Like if you don't like something that you hear, you go run to your little safe place. Um, what's happening? You know, what's what's going on, you know, in our society and in our culture? Uh, Somebody says something that offends me. So, "Ah!" you know, I'm going to go running to my little safe place. Somebody said something that's offensive. And, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, it'd be nice to have a right not to be offended, but we don't have that right. (laughs) That's one of the big issues, I guess, going on out there in our culture, in our society. Now, Peter says in verse 32, he takes Jesus aside <laughs> and begins to rebuke him. Only Peter, right? I mean, he's, 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 he's kind of a bold guy. And, uh, and he's going to straighten Jesus out uh, regarding, you know, Jesus, you got something off here. You got something really off here. And, of course, Jesus Christ is so often the most un- misunderstood individual. That's why sometimes you will do something Because Christ has led you to do it, and you're misunderstood. And sometimes, you know what? You can't explain your way out of it. And God allows you to be misunderstood because He wants you to trust Him. If He's led you to do something, you're doing His will. Don't expect the world to pat you on the back. Don't expect the world to to praise you or to thank you. Oftentimes, we're at odds. We can be at odds when we're in the will of God. Uh, and wanting to communicate, you know, the love of God, the truth of God to our culture. Uh, that's why we find so often, you know, everything in the world is tolerated in our culture, who, who, who claims to be so tolerant, but when it comes to speaking the truth of Christ, uh, that's a whole nother ball of wax. That's a whole nother situation. Um, we, don't get that, uh, we don't get that pass uh, like everyone else seems to get that pass uh, regarding those matters. Matthew chapter 16 fills in the blanks here. In the the Markan um, account here, that um, we don't don't get, you know, all the details uh, about that. But when we go over to Matthew chapter 16, we get some further details that sort of fill in the blank. Um, And here's what Peter says to Jesus. He says, far be it from you, Lord. In other words, far be it. In other words, uh, I'm going to protect you and we know Peter was a brave guy, okay? There's was, there was nothing wimpy or weak about Peter because remember in the garden, there are several hundred soldiers come to apprehend Jesus. What's Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he starts swinging. And we know this story, right? Malchus, he takes Malchus' ear off. I think he wanted to just sort of take that guy right down the middle. I think that's the kind of guy Peter was. Uh, I think he just take that sword and I'm going to split this guy in two. And I think there might have been an angel there that sort of tapped the 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 the, uh, the sword over just a little bit so the guy just lost an ear and uh, and we know the story too the Lord reaches down and picks up the ear isn't that great he reaches down and picks up the guy's ear and he goes ah and just puts his little ear back you know just a little you know just a little uh, break in there between this whole you know uh, situation of Jesus being apprehended and hauled off you know to jail so to speak he just picks this guy's ear up and it's just the grace you know, the grace of the Lord in the midst of, you know, this fight that began to take place. So again, Peter, he was a brave guy. And so he's saying here to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord. Lord, I'm not going to allow you to suffer. Well-intentioned, but very misdirected. If you would put that in the Greek, it would sound more like this. Lord, pity yourself. And little did Peter realize That in his sympathy, that he was really in sympathy with the devil. That's why Jesus said to him. And I imagine that must have shocked him. And and again, here's Jesus. Jesus is always, what he always does is perfect love. (laughs) Even though it may not look like it. He says to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because you you, you savor Satan. The things of man and of flesh, and not the things of God. Because see, Peter did not realize this was the course that Jesus had to take. That's why sometimes too, I think you need to be very careful about how you counsel other people. I- I've discovered this as a, you know, as a pastor counseling for a long time. Um, you know, when we talk to other people, uh, when God has maybe led them to do something that's challenging. I've seen sometimes other Christians just try to talk other people out of it. For instance, when Christians sometimes, uh, you know, here they've, uh, they've got max, max education, and in a sense it seems like they're throwing all away to go into the mission field. And maybe these good, loving, kind parents that provided all that are looking at their kids saying, Hey, what would you go through all that education for? To go off into the mission field? And so sometimes we just simply cannot understand you know, a decision, you know, that somebody may be making. And I think we need to be very careful how we address that and how we, you know, counsel people, you know, regarding the will of God. um, You know, if they really feel that in a sense, you know, they uh, are doing God's will. Now, the point here is self-pity will keep us from the will of God. And Jesus is saying, basically, it puts us in sympathy with the devil. This kind of self-pity. And I've seen sometimes what self-pity can, can do to people. You know, when we have a pity party, we like to invite people, right? Okay, hey, come to my pity party, you know, Make me, oh, come on, let me cry on your shoulder, kind of a thing. And there's nothing wrong with being empathetic. There's a, there's a time that we can be empathetic, okay? But this is not the situation. And self-pity, and every one of us are very capable, and, and, and at times, you know, we've had our pity parties, well I think we need to be very careful because again it can be it can be in sympathy with something that's other than the will of God for your life and my life. You know there is a suffering that's according to the will of God. And of all people to write for it, to write about it Peter. Peter the very one here in this instance is trying to talk Jesus out of the very purpose for which he came because there was suffering involved. There was a challenge involved, there was difficulty involved. There was adversity involved. And we don't like those kind of things. I mean, who likes adversity? Who likes suffering? Nobody likes those kind of things. But Peter came to realize this later. And of all people to write, look what he writes over in 1 Peter chapter 4. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. You just might want to write down the reference. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Peter, the apostle, the one who tries to talk Jesus out of suffering, says this. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, same kind of thinking, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And I've seen this. I've seen this kind of thing take place that when uh, there, can be a, there can be a degree of suffering that comes into our life that, that in one sense may incapacitate us, but in another sense, it keeps us from sin. I've seen it. It's a little bit hard to explain, put into words. But I've seen this testimony from different people that have been that have suffered greatly. Um, that they said without their suffering, their life would be so different. Uh, there's a there's a brother in this church, and uh, he has suffered. I've known him for a long, long time, uh, and he has suffered in these last 25 years in a very profound kind of way. And he has he has told me he says you know. Um, In one sense, I I don't like the suffering I have to go through. But in another sense, it has changed the course of my life. Uh, God has used it in my life, uh, that he's he's protected me. He's protected me. Um, And again, you know, sometimes the decisions that we can make, um, the choices that we can make, sometimes can bring unnecessary, you know, suffering in our lives. And so God sometimes can use a physical malady. You know, it's like um, we were talking about healing last week um, and uh, why God doesn't heal some people, yet we pray for healing. Um, and and the different, different thoughts and ideas uh, about that. Um, but if some of you know Johnny Erickson Tata, 40-some uh, 40, 40, 40 years, close to 50 years. No, it is 50 years, actually, uh, in a wheelchair. And yet you look at the dynamic of her life. God has used her in a tremendous way. She hates, she, she, here she's uh, quadriplegic, she's um, incapacitated from her neck down. Um, people have to feed her. Uh, everything has to be done for her. And you can imagine if that was you. Uh, we're independent, right? We don't like that. We're, we don't want to be dependent on somebody uh, for our next, you know, for our next uh, um, bite of food or whatever the case may be. But look how God has used that. And she has said that. She said, my life would be different if I wasn't in this wheelchair and that diving accident didn't happen back in 1967. And I think, too, there are things like that that happen in our life that change the direction, that change the trajectory of our life, and it's God's purpose and God's design. But it may include include some degree of adversity or suffering. And we realize that God can, can take those things, and he can use those things. What's it say for you and I in Romans eight twenty eight? All things. Some things? Maybe a few things? No, no. All things work together for the good. Uh, you know, to those that are called according to his purpose, of those who love God. And I think sometimes uh, we don't remember those kind of truths when we're going through a difficult time, when we're facing you know, some suffering or whatever the situation may be. But look at, look at what he says here, uh, that that he or she no longer should live the rest of their time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And then verse 19, therefore let those who suffer, notice, according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So God is wonderfully faithful Um, And, again, Peter learned that. Peter learned that. There is – there is we do have to allow for that. We don't ask for it. We don't look for it. But we do have to allow, you know, for those difficulties, those challenges, and when we have to go through a time, you know, of suffering. And Peter learned that, I guess, really the hard way that um, everybody in the church age would know that Jesus spoke to him and said, Satan, get thee behind me, you know, kind of a thing. So also, too, you know, our instincts that we have – that are natural instincts that really save ourselves from difficulty and hardship, oftentimes they can cloud our better judgment. God is working purposes. And there are things that, you know what, that you and I are going to have to go through. And God just says, you know, I'll be with you. I'll give you grace. You just need to endure. You know, one, one of the scriptures that so often comes to me when I think about how challenging the Christian life is. It is. It, it it it's a challenging life to walk with God, to walk in obedience, uh, and and I always pick up that verse from Paul to fight the good fight. You women probably wouldn't think of that; it's more like a guy's thing, fight the good fight, you know, kind of a thing. But that's the Christian life; that's his life, and and Paul would say uh, to Timothy, his young protege, he would say this in Second Timothy. Um, Chapter 2 and in verse 3, he says, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he would say in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that we have, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And, you know, the funny thing is, too, suffering sometimes can come into our life because of somebody that we love. Somebody that we love very dearly. They're not walking with God. Their life may be a mess. And your life is so connected to that person mm-hmm. that in a sense, you know, you're, you're heartbroken. You, you, you suffer, you pray, you cry out. You long for that person. And I think every one of us at one time or another have people like that in our lives. And that's why we should endure. Because the impact of your life and your prayers even though it's difficult, it's challenging. That's why, you know, sometimes in this, in this culture and society, um, when people are done with a relationship, it's like, you know, throw away. Leave me alone. Get out of my life. L- let, let, let me forget you. And we see that kind, of, that kind of attitude, you know, out there in our culture. And anybody, any human being is capable of that. But I'll tell you what, when you care about people, when you love people, it can tear your heart out. I think sometimes the suffering that we can have related to relationships and other people sometimes is far greater than the phys- any kind of physical suffering that we can go through. Okay, let's get back here, <clears throat> back here to our, our text. Now, we're in verse uh, 34. I think this incident with Peter, uh, it becomes basically the springboard uh, to which he's going to teach now this, the disciples, about what real discipleship is. You know, I think one of the questions, I think it's a fair question, <clears throat> that we need to ask ourselves, am I really a disciple of Jesus or am I just an admirer? Do I just admire Jesus? And He's very admirable, okay? But when you really study about Him and understand, you know, His nature and what He's like, and that's the only way you really can understand when you read the Bible and, under, and, and you see you know, His life portrayed before us. But really, a, a, am I a disciple of Jesus? Or am I just sort of, my, is my Christianity just sort of intellectual? Is, 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 am I just an admirer, you know, of Jesus? Because a lot of people are. A lot of people, you know, that have, uh, even Christians, you know, even people that, that have professed Christ. That uh, there's no real discipleship and no really following Jesus, you know, in their life, and and you know what? It's a challenge to follow Him. It's it's difficult. It's not easy. The, the most challenging thing in life is to know Christ and to follow Him and to be faithful to Him, because this world is totally against all that. You know, the, the river of this world runs, you know, in a whole other direction. That's why you and I, in a sense, we're going upstream. We're going against the tide and the current that's out there in our society, in our culture. But I'll tell you what, it's a good fight and it's worth it. There may be a lot of things that you and I will regret. Everybody has regrets about different things. But that's not one regret that you want to have at the end of your life, that I didn't really commit myself fully to Christ. And there are rich rewards in eternity man, this life is just a, this life is just a, it's it's a, it's a primer, okay? It's just priming us up for eternity. But the decisions, the choices and the life that we live here have great implications on what eternity is going to be like for us. Verse 34, when he called the people to himself. Now notice here, disciples and the people. Wasn't just the training for the inner circle, for anybody that would listen. uh, He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First question is, do I have the desire? Got to have that. That's basic. Do I really have a desire to know him better? To follow after him? You know, to to live for God. Got to have that desire. And maybe if we don't, to say, Lord, put that in my life. Because we can have desire for all kinds of crazy, goofy things. It's amazing, you know, the heart, how the heart reaches out to so many different things. But the greatest desire is to have a desire, to want to know Him, to want to walk with Him, to want to make an impact, to want to make an impact, you know, in the lives of other people for Christ. Secondly, what does it mean to deny oneself? Now, this is not, this is not the self-denial of Gandhi, okay, or one of the Eastern religions. You know, this is not the denial, basically, of of giving up nice things. I I used to think that. It's not taking a vow of poverty. It's this. It's giving up my right to myself. Mm. That's pretty, uh, pretty strong, isn't it? Giving up my right to myself. Basically turning my life fully, you know, over to him. See, we have to give up our life to run our own life. We have to give that up. Calling the shots, doing what I want to do, going where I want to go. Are we willing to really offer that up? Because sometimes I think somebody, people can make great sacrifices, you know, financially, you know, giving things away. Not that that's wrong. But I can do those things at the same time, too. I'm holding back from giving up my right to myself. And you see, as Americans, that's huge with us. Because we got our Bill of Rights. You know, we, uh, you know, we so often, in little ways, we don't realize it. You know, don't we get indignant when somebody gets in front of us? They butt in front of us in line. With, hmm. We not say anything, but we kind of bristle a little bit. Who do they think they are, you know, kind of a thing. Or when somebody just cuts us off on the car. And um, you, know, we can be very, you know, be very indignant about what our rights are. You know, Margie and I were in uh, Pittsburgh Plaza, going to Trader Joe's here uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and we're just—it was a day off, and man, we're just relaxed and you know, kind of driving in a pokey kind of way, you know, type of thing. And you know, we're talking back and forth, and um, and we're just we're not even doing five miles an hour, you know, kind of pulling up to a stop sign. And I got to this stop sign a little bit before the lady on the other side. But we're being pokey, okay? Uh, We're just talking. And uh, so I go to go out, and she's already halfway in the intersection. And uh, so apparently she thinks she's in the right. And you should have seen that reaction. She is waving her finger at me, and her lips are going like this. And and Margie and I, we're cracking up. We're laughing. I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't want to be married to that woman, I'll tell you that right now. And... uh, but, you know, when it is, when we think we're in the right, it's amazing, you know, how self-righteous we can be. We start wagging our finger, you know, at people. But to give up our right to ourself. You get exploited. You get taken advantage of. Man, there's, there's something that rises up within us. <laughs> And when we do that, when, when we give up our right to ourselves, the world may say, "Well, you know, people, yeah, yeah, you look, look at you. People are walking all over you, kind of a thing." But you're doing it for a purpose. You're doing it for Christ. You're doing it to glorify Him. We know internally how we want to, what we want to say, or how we, you know, and we do a lot of times, you know. Maybe before Christ we just couldn't help it, it just came out, you know, kind of a thing. But now that we know Christ, we've got more control, but there's that inner reaction, right? There's that inner kind of thing that rises up within you, I want to give them a piece of my mind kind of a thing, you know. And to die to that. (laughs) That Christ would be glorified, that Christ would be magnified, and he would be honored. You know, Paul says this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but it's uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Listen to Paul. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I think a lot of times when we come to Christ, because we're drawn... You know, by his spirit, he's wonderful, he's lovely. He's so, he's so it's a, you know, when you get exposed to Jesus, he's so magnetic. But a lot of times when we come, and all of a sudden, our faith is being challenged, there's adversity and struggle. I didn't sign up for this. You did sign up for that. You just didn't read the small print. Because what we did is when we came to Jesus said, so Jesus, remember, remember how crazy you were when you came to Jesus? I'll die for you, Jesus. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go. Remember how crazy you were? Or was that just me? Oh, I know you were like that too in the beginning. You know, because he came into your heart, he came into your life. It was so wonderful, wasn't it? So fresh, so exciting. We forget, though. We signed over our life to Christ. We said, Lord, I'm giving the ownership of my life to you. We forget that. I, I forget that as well at times. And then we can kind of go off doing what we want to do. But we have to give up our right to running our own life. And, and that's what gets us in trouble. That's what always gets the believer in trouble when we start, you know, get, we, get this, we want to get back to the steering wheel. We want to take over, we want control. And it just simply doesn't work for you and I, because we're the chi- we're the children of God. <clears throat> the other thing too about the cross is, you know what? It it reveals things about us. It can humiliate us. Uh, the thing it says in uh, Hebrews chapter twelve, I think verse maybe two or three, something like that. Uh, it says about Christ in the cross. It says. Uh, um, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you and I as well, when it comes to identifying with Jesus Christ, we oftentimes get humiliated, we get rejected. People don't understand their need for Christ. You can lose a friendship lose a, 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 an important relationship in your life. People have lost jobs. There's people right now in the third world, they, their houses have been burned down. Their daughters have been taken into sexual slavery because they're Christians, but they're living in that part of the world. You know, see, there, there's all kinds of challenges and you know, to identify with Jesus Christ. And that's why it is important that we communicate that to our surrounding culture because that's the only thing that's going to save them, is a relationship with Christ. And yet it's a challenge to us. We want to be accepted by people. We want people to hear our message and love us. And some people will, but most people won't. In verse 35, I think this really speaks to the the, the inner drive and the motive of our lives. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Now, we know we can't save ourselves eternally, but so often when it comes to really living for God, we spare ourselves. (laughs) Our Christianity can get to a point where we don't want to do anything that's inconvenient. Initially, when we got saved, man, we were at church all the time, every service. What how things kind of just begin to fall off. Our commitment, our desire, our love for him. And before you know it, you're sparing yourself. Oh, that's too much of a hassle. Uh, Ray Steadman is an author that I appreciate. He's actually the mentor and pastor of uh, Chuck Swindoll. And he's speaking here about uh, verse 35 and, and the, the motive behind it. Uh, when we're saving ourselves or sparing ourselves, that's really what it means. It, it means a sparing ourselves any kind of challenge to be put out. He says regarding uh, Mark eight thirty-five, 35. Um, that is motive, en- motive enough, certainly. Who is not interested in saving his life? That is making it worthwhile, making it complete, full, rich, worth living. We all want that. Deep down within us, every one of us has a hunger for life and a desire to find it uh, to the full extent of what it was designed to be. And this is what Jesus is talking about. If this is what you want, he says, I'll tell you how to acquire it. There are two attitudes to life which are possible, and you can only have one or the other. One is to save your life now, to hoard it, to clutch it, to cling to it, to grasp it, to try to get hold of it for yourself, take care of it for yourself, trust yourself, and see that in every situation, your first and your major concern is what's in it for me. That is one way to live, and millions are living that way today. All of us, at one time or another, do this. But here's the other attitude. Lose it. Fling it away. Disregard what advantage there may be for you in a situation, and move out in dependence upon God. Uh, Careless of what may happen to you. Paul says, I count not my life dear to myself. Abraham obeyed God. He went out on a march without a map into a place he didn't know where he was going, apparently careless of what would happen to him, and his neighbors reproached him. They rebuked him for not caring about himself. And this is to be the way of life, Jesus says. Trust God, obey him, and put the responsibility for what happens on his shoulders. This is the way of life that Jesus offers. You lose your life like that, and you know what? You gain it. Because life is, Christ is life. All the other things that we get caught up in sometimes can be more distractions than anything. And and he leads us the way of the cross, which which may mean death to something. And there's been a number of things that have been my desire and something I wanted to do. Because I'm just like, I'm, I'm, my mind never stops of thinking things that I want to do, just endless. But I've come to realize that there's a number of things that as I think it out, as I plan it out, as I pray about it, not going to happen. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So I've come to realize, you know what, his way is the way of life. His plan is always the best plan. You know, we have the plans of mice and men. And, and oftentimes our plans can be just, they can be futile. They can just be mental wool gathering. He knows best. And he will lead us and direct us and guide us in that way that is best for us. So despair ourselves is really, you know, God suspend yourself. Well, I think Paul said that. Didn't he Paul say that in Corinthians? I will gladly spend and be spent for you and for the gospel. Man, that is so opposite of our culture because it's, it's about hoarding it. It's about, you know, what's in it for me? But when we see what's in it for Jesus, to honor him, to glorify him, man, that's really what it's all about. Now, these last two verses, we're going to close with this. And to me, I think verse 36 is one of the most searching verses in all of Scripture. For what will it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for a soul? Hey, what good is it if I'm the most powerful person in the world, if I'm the richest person in the world, if I'm the most beautiful person in the world, but I had to trade my soul to get that? What good is it? No good at all. Many of you heard of, uh, um, studying world history, Charlemagne. Most of you guys hear about Charlemagne. He was the king of France, called Charles the Great and Charles the Hammer Martel. Uh, he was the king of France, um, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, Austria, and Italy. And uh, it's, it's, uh, he's credited with saving Christianity in Europe uh, because the, uh, the, the Moors, uh, which were Muslims, um, crossed over from North Africa, conquered Spain. Uh, we're moving up to fr- in, in you know halfway up in France, and Charles Martel. That's why they call him the Hammer. He beat back the Muslims, and this was like this was like in the 700s. So this is like 300 years, you know, before the First Crusade. Because a lot of times all you hear about is Crusades. Listen, the Crusades were a response to what the Moors had done in trying to invade Europe. A lot of, you won't hear that in secular culture, even though some of the Crusades were terrible. You know, one of the Crusades, they sent all children. Can you imagine that? Sending all children. They were slaughtered. And uh, Anyway, um, Charlemagne, the Pope, even in the year 800, um, anointed him as the emperor of the Roman Empire. They were trying to revive the Roman Empire. Uh, there hadn't been an emperor in Ro- from Rome in like 300 years, almost 400 years. And so in the year 800, uh, they, uh, they, you know, basically the Pope uh, ordains and anoints him as basically the Roman Empire of the Empire and so forth. But here's the deal. Like all people, he died. They open up his vault sometime later, probably a couple hundred years later. They open up this giant vault, and there is Charlemagne sitting on his throne, sitting on his throne with his kingly attire, with his, with his crown on, but he has a Bible in his lap. And his bony finger is pointed to verse 36. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a person give in exchange for that? I remember a story of reading, uh, reading a story of a man who was a wealthy man and on his deathbed, He said, for just a little bit more time, I would give my full inheritance. I'd give everything for just a little more time. You want eternal life? It's a free gift. But you do have to give something. You have to to give Christ your heart. You have to give him your life. You have to give him ownership of your life. He calls us to that kind of commitment. As we close in prayer, if you want to give him full ownership or ownership of your life, I'd like you to stand because I want to pray for you. Hey, this may be your moment. This may be your opportunity to really turn over the reins, the the, the steering wheel, the control of your life. I don't want you to stand up if you don't mean it. But if you really mean that, because that, that could, whether it's initially, you know, whether it's you know just a recommitment of my life to say, Lord, I want to give to you complete ownership of my life, because I'll tell you what, this is the most important and the safest decision that you and I will ever make in committing our life, surrendering ourself, our future to Him, because I'll tell you what, when you put it into His hands, it's safe. He'll keep you. He'll watch over you. He'll guide you, bless you in so many awesome ways. And, Father, we thank you. I thank you for those, Lord, uh, out of just inner conviction. Lord, wanting to know you better, wanting to open up their hearts and lives to you. And, Lord, you see this. You see each one of these people. Lord, it's recorded in heaven. You see a commitment. You see a decision. And so, Father, I thank you for those. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, I thank you for the word of God that you would give us insight, Lord, of how passing the things of this world is. That, Lord, we long for something more, something eternal. And, Lord, that begins here and now in our relationship with you. And I pray that you would pour out your eternal spirit upon those that are here today. Thank you for them. And thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for your great love, the greatest demonstration of the love of God for all time and eternity, that, Lord, you hung there naked. Lord, a shameful thing. You took on our shame. You took on our punishment. You took on our judgment. And for that, Lord, we are eternally honored and thankful for it. Lord God, bless, we pray, each one here in Jesus' name. Amen.